to another episode of Turn Left. I am your host, Indiana's own Dana Black, coming to you live. Yes, all the way live from Black Girl Studios, where we talk about Indiana politics from the left side of things. Listen, I'm going to talk about the hearing. Hold on. I'm coming. Just wait a second. I'm coming. I promise, because, you know, there's a lot to be said about that. That was a whole lot of something, something, something. But I'm going to talk about it. But first, you know I got a rant. Dan Cardin of Shelbyville News reports, a new state law aims to reduce Indiana's high mortality, maternal mortality rate by ensuring pregnant Hoosiers have access to health care services for the duration of their pregnancies and beyond. House Enrolled Act 1140, which immediately took effect March 14th after being signed into law by Republican Governor Eric Holcomb, authorizes pregnant individuals whose family incomes are less than 208% of the federal poverty level to receive low or no cost health coverage. Y'all, this is so important. Now, you see, I'm starting off with good news, right? I'm starting off with good news because we already know Indiana is at the bottom when it comes to infant and maternal mortality. We've got to do better. So let me give you the eligibility requirements. To be eligible, uh, a one-person household must earn less than, unfortunately, $28,268. A two-person household, less than $38,085 a year. A three-person is 40, $47,903 a year. And for a uh, four-person or let's say, four, yeah, four-person, it's $57,720. Um, obviously, you guys can log on to the Medicaid site, get signed up, and make sure that you are meeting those thresholds. Um, but this is important. This is positive, positive news. When you consider all the, uh, the garbage that's coming out of the state house, this is actually some good news. Um, as Vanessa Summers says, our state's maternal health rankings are shameful. This bill will eliminate red tape and save lives. The permanent expansion of the postpartum care will align with the findings of the MMRC and the needs of Hoosier women. So y'all, you see how I do this? I start off with good news. The legislation was approved 93 to one in the house and 49 to zero in the Senate. So. You guys, make sure if you find yourself in a, in a financial distress situation and you are pregnant, right? Your amount of money should not determine if you and your child survive childbirth. Get yourself signed up. I don't have the link, nope. But Google Medicare, Medicaid, Google it and get yourself signed up. All right, so y'all wanna hear some crazy news? Y'all ready for the stupid? I mean, I was, I was starting off with like roses and sunshine. You know I got to come back with some crazy, right? The Indiana Star, Indianapolis Star reports in a press call Tuesday, Senator Mike Braun, you know, the Indiana senator, said the U.S. Supreme Court was incorrect in legalizing interracial marriage in, a, in the landmark loving decision in 1967. Braun's comments came during an open-ended conference call with media during which he discussed confirmation hearings for President Joe Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. That's when he began discussing what he called judicial activism. Now, mind you, let's be clear. 
it's only judicial activism when it's a progressive or a liberal. But if it's a, a conservative who wants to take away a woman's right to choose what she does with her body, that's not activism. I want you to understand there is a difference to them. When it comes to issues, you can't have it both ways, Braun said. When you want the, that diversity to shine within our federal system, there are going to be rules and proceedings. There's going to be out of sync with maybe what other states will do. It's the beauty of the system. And that's where the differences among points of view in our 50 states ought to express themselves. Uh, of course, just a few hours later, uh, he tried to say he misunderstood the question. Now, see, I got a problem with the fact that I got a U.S. senator that can't understand a basic question. But I heard the exchange. And they said, so are you saying they were wrong for passing Loving? He was like, yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, they were. So basically he was saying that it's, hey, let's be clear. States' rights have always been about the subjugation of people of color. So stop tripping. And the fact that you are saying a state or other people in the state can determine what my rights are, we got issues. And on top of that, there's a lot of people who fall in love with who they fall in love with. The level of melanin in their skin has nothing to do with it. They find a connection. Leave these people alone. Why would you even say that? But see, Mike Braun being the idiot that he is, once again, another Hoosier has made Indiana look like we don't have any institutions of higher learning anywhere. Now, our parties. Chairman Mike Schmuel said, um, who was the chairman of the party, said it was un-American. The United States Supreme Court has affirmed many times that marriage equality in our country extends to any committed couple, regardless of sex, race, orientation, or religious affiliation. And to question that legitimacy, legitimacy questions the very fabric of America and its people. Now, see, normally I would just stop with the Democrat, but... The Republican chair had the audacity to chime in as well. In an email statement, he says, uh, rights are so intrinsic that they cannot be left up to states, and one of those is ensuring racial equality. As for my thoughts on the issue at hand, I believe there are some rights that are so intrinsic to us as humans and Americans that the states cannot be left to decide those issues on their own. That includes ensuring racial equality in all aspects of life. Now, I agree with this Republican. I agree with, with him vehemently. But the problem is they don't practice what they preach. They consistently in all 50 states, continue to introduce legislation that marginalizes one group or another or de de tries to determine what rights are acceptable or not. Trust me, as a gay black woman, they've attacked every side of me. Oh yes, I'm a Gemini, so that's like six of me because there's three on one side and three on the other. Yes, they come for me quite regularly. I just want y'all to know they said a thing, but they don't actually mean a thing. It's like when the Republicans talk about their diversity and inclusion program and they got this particular individual running around talking about how the party needs to be more inclusive. I'm sorry. I don't understand why anybody would want to be associated with an organization that works vehemently to disenfranchise them and marginalize them in every aspect of our society. Y'all go figure that out. I ain't got time. But on some other good news, because, you know, crazy is just crazy. Let's just follow some crazy up with more crazy. You know, they, they passed that anti-trans girl bill and, and the governor had the, um, I'm going to say the ovaries because, you know, 
balls seem to be in short supply. He had the ovaries to veto that bill. The Indiana House School Athletic Association on Wednesday commended Republican Governor Eric Holcomb's veto of a bill banning transgender females from participating in girls' sport, school sports after the association previously held back from taking explicit stance on the proposal. I, H, I can't even talk today, y'all. IHSAA Commissioner Paul Needig expressed reservations that the proposed legislation only addressed a single gender and the grievance procedure. Uh, the flexibility to assess competitive advantage in each unique case, although the association has not had any transgender girls finalize a request to play uh, on a girl's sport. Protecting the integrity of girls' sports is a worthy cause. That said, the specific language included in HB 1041 does not adequately address all of the issues at hand. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to say thank you, Governor. Um, I know that your General Assembly has, for the most part, not y'all not been in sync on what the agenda should be or what it was or what it wasn't for this General Assembly session. And they kind of went off and did some things that you were like, why are we doing this? Thank you for vetoing that. But here's the thing, y'all. May 24th, mark your calendars. May 24th, the General Assembly is going to meet to discuss whether or not they should override the veto because they have that power. So even though he vetoed it, it is not done. We still have those legislators who are like, uh-uh, we want to make sure that we codify that trans girls are second class, third class, fourth class citizens forever. So mark your calendars. If you can be a part of the resistance, then be a part of the resistance. May 24th, they're going to revisit this. It's not over. The fight is not over. All right. Did I, did I do enough of a rant? I wanted to get some stuff in there. I want to do some good news and some bad news, but you know how I get excited when it's ladies night. <laughs> Indiana's own day in a black turn left. You know I love it when I have, don't get me wrong, fellas. I, I love y'all too. Y'all know I do. Y'all know I do. But when I get to have ladies night, especially in Women's History Month, <laughs> it makes me especially happy. So I have a returning guest and a brand new guest. Y'all, first up, let me introduce to you someone you may not know yet, but she is running in the primary in that newly drawn, newly minted district in the south side of Indianapolis, Senate District 46. And Andrea Hunley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here, and I appreciated your rant. You've been able to say many of the things that have been on my heart and mind this week, so thank you. Always, that's, Dana. That's what I do. Right, and I I, I want to take the pressure off of you, you, you candidates, because y'all got to go earn votes. I'm just trying to earn listeners. Very different perspective, very different. And a returning guest, because she ain't never giving up, and I love that she is never going to give up. My girl, she is running in House District 82. Kathy Zuka, Kathy, welcome to the show. Hello, it's good to see you again, Dana. It's nice to meet Andrea. Um, District 82 has also been newly drawn, so there's no incumbent. Ooh. And, um, yes. So I love it. I love it. It's wide open as well. And I, too, enjoyed your rant. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would like to point out something about the maternal mortality rate and the infant mortality rate in the state of Indiana has been horrendous for years. 
And it's something that's been discussed for years, and it's something that really hasn't been worked on for years. And, uh, and so it's about time that we address the fact that we have too many babies, especially black babies, who don't make it to their, who don't make it born and who don't make it to their, um, because they didn't have um, good enough care. And then once they were born, they didn't survive or a year after they were born, they didn't survive. It's just, uh, we need to have better care, especially for, to lower, especially that black infant mortality rate. Absolutely, especially when you, you know, the people who are in charge, the supermajority and have all the statewide seats, uh, claim to be pro-life, you would think this is a no-brainer, wouldn't you, Andrea? Absolutely. And, you know, in Marion County, you know, where, where we're at in Indianapolis, only 54% of Black women seek care in their first trimester. And it's even lower for Latina women at 44%. And so I'm really hoping that this legislation will, you know, increase that access so that, you know, more moms will get care early on, which will help with, with both the infant and mother mortality rate. I love it. So before we get into y'all's campaigns, before we get into the agenda, so uh, y'all been watching the SCOTUS hearings? Have y'all been watching Judge Jackson bring the uh, super cool funk? Tell me, I, I, I'm gonna jump in, but y'all tell me what it feels and how are you feeling watching that sister uh, take on all the questions, but she's sitting in the seat. And, and, and Andrea, I'm gonna start with you, sis. You know, I'm gonna tell you, honestly, Dana, it makes me, is made me feel exhausted. And because, because I just, I, I have been in, in versions of that seat so many times. And for the same reason that I can't watch the George Floyd tapes, I could not watch much of the mm. hearing because it was just so painful and so frustrating that we that we still are in a place where a highly qualified, the most qualified person in the room will still be attacked and still be badgered and will still be discredited because of the color of her skin. And so today, you know, of course I, you know, watch when she gets to raise her right hand and I um, just sat and allowed myself a moment to just breathe it in and be so proud, not just for Judge Brown, but for all of our ancestors who helped pave the way for her to be where she's at today. And for all the little girls who are watching, who can now dream even bigger. The, the little melanated little girls, honey. Come on yes. now. The little melanated ones. Yes. Kathy? <clears throat> well, what I thought about was... Um, was grace under pressure. I, mm -hmm. and, and I, I was watching her and whenever she would give an answer, I just thought, oh my gosh, she's just, she's so bright. She's so qualified. She's so intelligent. She's, she is just so patient. I mean, look at her. That was, what is going yeah. on beyond be, behind those eyes? Like, because I'm thinking, I'm talking to the TV and I'm saying that was a really stupid question. And why are you talking about children's books? You know, uh, when do, do you do that to male judge um, candidates? Do you go about through, you, do you read children's books to male <laughs> candidates as well? I've never seen that happen before. I, I, I just really did see that there was a, a different um, litmus test for her 
than what I've ever seen. And I do watch these hearings. I find them very interesting. Yeah, I find them interesting too. And I've watched uh, as much as I can. And then when I have to stop, I'm literally watching it on YouTube and I press pause and I go back and watch. That's how, like I'm in the bed watching the rerun, right? And so A, she's a melanated sister and she a brown melanated sister. So I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm super excited because, you know, we've had multiple women and women of color throughout history who have been equally or more qualified than the people who have been certified on our Supreme Court. So let us be clear. She's she's the first one called up, but she ain't the first one. As like, you know, for all my baseball fans, you know, Jackie Robinson, you know, he was great, but he wasn't the greatest one in the Negro Leagues. You know what I'm saying? She was the first one called up. Second, it was, they knew that they didn't have anything on her. They'd already, they already confirmed her three other times. Right. So all this was was grandstanding and it backfired horrendously. I actually enjoyed watching the Ted Cruz's and the Josh Hollies and the Tom Cotton's because they look so damn stupid. So while they're out there like throwing meat to their base, they they forgot that there's like 70 million people. They forgot there were 80 million of them going, y'all stupid. So and then the book, the children's book is now a bestseller. Y'all don't even realize, dumb. You didn't have any for, and then Lindsey Graham, you know, I, okay. See, and I'm going, y'all going to be mad when I say this, but I just really want him to get his rainbow warrior cape out, honey, because did the queen just stump off to exit stage left? Like he put the queen in drama queen. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it was, it was incredibly entertaining now. For the, for the sentimental part, you know, obviously it was humbling to see her mom sitting there, her dad sitting there, her family, and the FOP. And and for me, the probably the, 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 the part that ripped my heart out and had me in tears was Senator Cory Booker. And he said, y'all are not going to steal my joy. <laughs> right? Well, and, and I loved the reference of, you know, of Ginger Rogers. I, I do everything Fred Astaire does, but I do it backwards and in high heels. And and that's what I was looking at when, when I was watching her. I was, I, it's funny that he said that because I was thinking the same thing during the whole hearing is that look at how much more she has to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and Andrew, I, we I know did, that. I did watch, um, you know, uh, Cory Booker's um, statement to her and just that single tear you know that was just falling down and just all of that emotion that was in there and i thought sister we are there with you we are there with you and i'm so glad that he um just just blessed over her yes. and just continued to give her that that shield um because she needed it you know just just helping her to restore her strength because while she's very very strong i think that we also have to remember that you know black women are human yeah. And that we feel all of those things. And I think that it was really important for him to, to give her that moment. Absolutely. And I think what was great about it was anybody who listened also had a tear. So it wasn't like, you know, you guys treated me so bad. It wasn't like that. It was, he gave her a blanket of coverage. He covered her. He, he anointed her at that moment to say, it's okay, boo. And, and you know, there were times you could see where she was like, <sighs> Like, you, you know, you, you knew she wanted to be like, dog, get out of here with that. Right. But she couldn't, she, she held her composure. Well, Andrea is a, a, a um, Andrea is a principal. So she, 
she probably, uh, the judge was using her principal look. You know, it's just sort of like, oh my gosh, you did not really just ask me that question, did you? Or, you know, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, mediocre people, just mediocre people questioning the bona fides of this woman who has done more than all the other ones combined. And y'all want to, and, and the other thing that, that, that you knew what their mission was, CRT, child molesters. Well, first of all, if you really cared about pedophiles and things like that, you wouldn't have voted for Trump. I said it, uh, and his ilk. So you don't really care that much, or Roy Moore. You you, you really don't care that much, right? Um, and the CRT thing, y'all don't even know what it is. And thank you for turning you know Ibram's book into a bestseller. I'm down with that. So there we go. All right, let's move on because I like talking to candidates. Candidates are awesome, right? Running for office is a beautiful thing. So Andrea, you're new to the show. Tell the people who you are and where you come from. Yes, so I am from Fort Wayne, Indiana, Kathy's place. Um, I, that's where I grew up. I was a child um, who started out in the foster care system prior to being adopted by my parents, who, thank you very much, Mike Braun, are an interracial couple. They are one of the first generation of interracial couples who could legally be married um, after the Loving case. And they've been married for nearly 40 years. And um, and so in Fort Wayne, uh, my husband and I met in high school. So we are high school sweethearts. Uh, also interracial couple. Thank you again. Um, <laughs> we are Indiana. I mean, we, we, we have been and we are. Um, I started working when I was 14 at the ice cream shop, um, scooping ice cream so that I could save up money to go to college. And so I became the first person in my household to attend four-year college. Um, in my freshman year of college, my my dad was diagnosed um, with an autoimmune condition and um, underwent eight surgeries in two years. Oh, and wow. so I had to pick up more jobs, um, became a resident assistant, and so I could cover my room and board. But that also meant then that I had to take out more student loans that I continue to pay off today. Um, still have a few more years on those. Um, Just a few? And- I know. <laughs> Look at you. Oh, the struggle. Um, and and now I'm a mom uh, to two lovely children who attend the school that I'm principal at. And so I I was a teacher um, for several years. Uh, I taught high school English, and um, I've been a principal for the past ten years in IPS at a kindergarten through eighth grade school. And then my husband and I also own a small business, um, uh, Second Street Creative, that we do web branding um, and. Uh, um, for small businesses. Um, we should talk. And I know, all the things. And then I'm also um, vice president of the board of my church, and I sit on other boards in town as well. Okay, so look, why did you want to become a teacher? Well, first, let me say this. I'm adopted too, so yay. Um, so, but why did you why did you want to become a teacher? Because if you had a student like me, you wouldn't have wanted to be no teacher. <laughs> Listen, I've had students like you. I, I already have. And I, I have love for all every single child that comes through my door because i know that every morning those parents send their best version of their child to school and so that's who walks into our door and that is who we love um and i i have i have a gift for education i have a gift for teaching and i also have a gift for administration and so um well part of the reason i became an administrator though is because i also have that problem where i think i can do everybody's job better than them which is like really a problem and so i kept looking at my principal and going, I could do that job. And maybe if you just did this differently. And then finally they said, 
get your get your administrator license. Come on, let's do it. Um, and so then I became became an administrator. But I I love children and I love working with families. I love it. So what was the thing that that made you want to be more civically engaged and put your you know was there did you ever did you always have an interest in politics? Always, always. Um, I I was on the speech and debate team in high school and voted um, most likely to become the first woman president. Um, it's just uh, you know it's still time. I, there's still time. Unfortunately, there's still time. Um, but so so I've always been interested in using my voice to advocate for my community and to advocate for what I really believe in. And that's just something that's been ingrained in me with my family. I mean, my mom. I remember her sitting at the dining room table, you know, making signs because she was driving out to Washington DC to protest the Iraq war. And she had these big signs that said soccer moms for peace. And I mean, so activism and using our, our voice um, for what we believe in is something that's been ingrained in me. Um, and so, so I've done a few different programs in town. Um, I did Hoosier Women Forward and um, the Stanley K. Lacey Leadership Series, um, Women for Changes, uh, Run for um, Ready to Run. And so I, over the past um, several years, I've you know volunteered on other campaigns, um, door knocking, phone banking, consulting about education policy. And so I knew that at some point I would run. I just thought that I would run when my kids were out of high school. Ah. And, but, you know, they redistricted. And so they drew this map. And as I kept looking at the map, I kept looking at it and thinking, these are my families. These are the people I've been serving for the past 17 years here in Indianapolis. And I thought my families can't wait. They, they can't wait for it to be convenient for me. They can't wait because they need someone in office now who knows them, who knows their needs, who carries their stories with them every single day, who's ready to represent them and fight for them. And so I talked to my family and got their blessing and here I am. Oh, I got some policy questions I'm gonna ask, but you know what, Kathy, tell the people who you are and where you come from. Okay, well, I am Kathy Zuha, and I was born and raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort I, um, Yes, and I, uh, yes, Fort Wayne. So you have two Summit City girls on. That's what we call Fort Wayne, Summit City. And anyway, um, I went to school here, at, and I also attended Indiana, Purdue at Fort Wayne, and um I, I got a little bit of the political bug when I was there, and I was the first female student body president way back before Andrea was born. And, <laughs> and then um, I left Indiana and moved to California. Um, I went into medical billing, and then after that, I, I worked at Warner Brothers as a marketing writer for about 10 years. And then I returned to Indiana because it's, you know, it's back home again in Indiana. And um and I'm glad I'm back here. I'm well with my friends, and I've got my, some of my family members here. And um, and I wanted to change careers. I I needed to change careers, and I became a teacher, a special ed teacher. Uh, I became interested in politics because of exactly what was happening in Indiana when I became a teacher uh, was really harmful to the children of Indiana regarding education. Right. And, uh, and, and what people don't understand is that Indiana in 2018 had, uh, was the fifth highest state regarding um, the teacher shortage. And that's way before COVID. Um, what 
what's going on in Indiana started happening in 2011. Right. And uh, we we do have an extremely high teacher shortage, but that it, it wasn't related to COVID. It's it's because of policy making and nonsensical policy making. I'm going to borrow that word that Dr. Jennifer McCormick, the former superintendent of public education, would use is that we've got nonsensical laws regarding education. And unless we do something as educators about it, um, we have to we have to educate our, our constituents and our families so that they know that this, you know, what's going on in the state. Mm-hmm. And when Andrea said, you know, these are my families, oh, over 95% of the district that I'm running in is a Fort Wayne Community School District. And uh, by the way, the largest school district in the state. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, and I think of the same thing. I think my families can't wait. My kids can't wait. Right, right. So that's why I'm running again. I love I, it. it. I, I love did it. pretty well in my last race. In well, my and state races. Uh, I, I um, did pretty well in that. I lost by about 10 percentage points. And, but they, they did remove a lot of the precincts that I won. Um, and they put those into uh, another district for state Senate. So when I looked at everything, I thought, you know, the state representative district is the one I need to run in now. I love it. And see, you're, you know, I, you go, cause I, 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 I've been one and done thus far, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I got great representatives, so I don't need to run right now. Indiana's yeah, only in a black term left. Hey, run eventually. You, right. You I, I mean, I just, I, listen, I got, I got Greg Porter and Senator Jean bro. If, if, you know, until they decide to retire and let, you know, a young buck who ain't going to be much younger, longer get in there, you know what I'm saying? So I, I, I'm good with both of them. I'm lucky. I got great representatives. When I ran the first time I was in purgatory. All right. (laughs) So, Hey guys, if you like what they're talking about, um, on this live feed, on this Facebook feed, feel free to click their donation link. Cause you know, I can't donate to every candidate, but this is a way for me to have a fundraiser for these candidates. I am not endorsing anybody. However, if you like what they're talking about in the course of the discussion and you want to help their campaign out because every campaign needs money, feel free to click on their donate link and you can donate directly to that candidate. All right. So y'all talk both talking about being teachers. Oh, dog. I got some questions. So, um, there were a lot of funky bills that came out of the state house. And obviously 1134 was the one that got the most attention because it was the, the most stupid one, right? Obviously they didn't talk to teachers <laughs> when they put that one together. But one of the bills that has me most concerned is, and I can't think of the number, but it's the adjunct teacher bill where they they talk about how if you have 15 minutes being a business person, you can go in and teach English or whatever the case may be, right? Or if you've been speaking English for five days, you can, you know, whatever it is. And I'm, and I'm being facetious, I recognize that. But if you have, they're saying if you have a skill set and some time, then you can go teach, whether or not you know how to teach. Uh, you talked about your certifications and when you said I had to go get an administrative certification, and I also know you have to have a special certif- certification to teach special ed. How does it make y'all feel to hear that they're taking a profession that A, Andrea's still paying student loans on, and they're just saying, yo, anybody, as long as you pass a background test check, you can come and teach our kids, whether or not you know how to teach. Yeah, I will tell you, and and I do, I hold three licenses. So I have a license to teach high school English, English as a new language, um, and then also my administrative license, it's PK through 12. 
And so, you know, I've gone through a lot of training to sit in the seat that I do in order to be in, you know, work with children. At the same time, I do want to say that, and while I, I would have been opposed to this bill the way that it was written, I do see why it was introduced. And part of the reason, um, twofold, one is to increase the number of um, teachers of color. And so we have to be creative in order to do that because um, not all of our people of color who are in our classrooms take traditional pathways into education. And so I do think we have to be creative. Um, however, and then I also know that another reason that they introduced this bill was because there are some um, content areas that are very hard to find licensed teachers in. And um, like our upper level mathematics or upper level sciences, think your right. like high school science courses or some of our tech fields, um, like teaching welding, for example, like having an industry professional come in, um, you know, is really beneficial. However, the reason why I would have been opposed to it is because it didn't go far enough to ensure that folks would have the proper training and um, determine the length of mentorship that they would have and make mm -hmm. sure that they know about student discipline and classroom management, See. which is really key. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons that I didn't like this adjunct bill is because um, that these people are going to be able to, to negotiate their salaries themselves. Mm. And um, so they can actually end up making more money than the um, professional educator sitting next to them. Um, I'm a big union person. The jobs where I've made what the guy sitting next to me is making have always been union jobs. Uh, I will also say that um, somebody asked me about this this bill and I said nobody wants to be teacher a teacher in Indiana these, these people don't want to become teachers teachers don't want to be teachers in Indiana you if you think that people are going to be clamoring for these positions so that they can make far less than what they're making now or to um, have to deal with as as many issues that we have to deal with I mean, it's just not going to happen if you want to have more teachers in Indiana and get rid of it and, and try to um, cut down on that teacher shortage, put collective bargaining back. Right. Um, treat us like we're right. uh, like we're like, like we're men. You know, over seventy five percent of the teachers in Indiana are female, and so unlike the Fraternal Order of Police, which is mostly male, and they have collective bargaining bargaining and can bargain what their work site is like and what their workplace is like we're not allowed to do that and that was taken away from us back in 2011. Um, we can't we can't bargain class sizes we can't bargain behaviors there, there's just we just really can't bargain much of, much of anything and if you're going if what you do what you did is you took away the humanity of teaching and you took away any sort of, of love that we can have as teachers, right. uh, for teachers. And then you're saying, well, we don't understand why we have such a teacher shortage. Why don't we just get people from the outside come in and teach and teach? Then you don't understand education. No. And for um, to think that that's going to be, I, I, I love what Andrea said, you know, classroom management, good luck there. I, I'm at a school where in the last five years, we had an engineer who was retired as an engineer and was going back to the um, transition to teaching program and was teaching in our school, uh, teaching science. And we had a businesswoman who was at our school. The gentleman who was the engineer lasted approximately three weeks, 
did not go into the um, transition to teaching program. Um, he, he could not figure out how to manage his classroom and he was ill prepared and he was a wonderful man. And I remember him because I'm the, the um, union rep and I was mm -hmm. always trying to help people as much as I could. I remember his asking me after a couple of weeks, do we all have to stay this late every night in order to get our jobs done? <laughs> and I said, yes, and it's unpaid. And, you know, and then that's when I sort of noticed that this was not what he signed up for. No, and no. I had a, a, another teacher who was in the business world and she lasted two years and she's back in the business world. So it's not, you know, it, it, it's not something that always works out and, and it's, it seems like a great fix, but it really isn't. Yeah, you know? and, I think, and I think Dan to Dana's other point too about you know that it has sort of opens a store for anybody to you know kind of come in and and become teachers. And I just want to make sure that there are safeguards that our highest need kids have the highest trained teachers. And so that's my worry is that um, is that in our high need schools where we really do have um, even more significant teacher shortages and staffing challenges that um, that, that we aren't just putting in um, anybody folks. Yeah, just anyone. And so I want to make sure there are safeguards in place and that we're monitoring and tracking um, sort of the data and percentages of, of folks in the building um, and the types of licensures that they have. And see, I think and the thing that, that the, the, the other thing that got me was, okay, we just lost Intel to Ohio, yes. right? We just lost Intel to Ohio because Intel said they have more college ready and, and post, you know, undergrad ready people for us to hire from we are now saying okay your, your k through 12 is where you're going to get your fundamentals of learning right we, you know it's just the basics right and you're saying that we don't even want the best people teaching and then what will happen is like you said our schools that and let's be clear the ones in lower income you know, majority black and brown are not going to get the best teachers. The best teachers are going to go to private schools or in the township schools or in up in Hamilton County or some of those other places where there is a significant cultural difference, right? And when I mean cultural, I mean the environment that they're going to work in, not necessarily just the, the demographics of the, of the students, but there's, there's a higher tax, you know, revenue for those locations. Therefore there's better opportunities, but there's going to be few and far in between. So there's going to be a, even a much larger disparity between the haves and the haves not have nots. And then on top of that, we're losing businesses. So students are going to miss out. And then regular everyday people who want to build a life here in Indiana are going to miss out because companies are not going to come here. I don't understand why they don't see that part. Yeah, well, it is a challenge. I, I will say one thing though, um, that I'm really proud of the district that I'm a part of in IPS because we have increased our teacher pay. So we're one of the, the highest paying um, in, in our area. And so we, we do attract top talent right now. Part of it is because our teachers were able to bargain sure. um, for, for right sizing their pay. Teacher pay? What? Yeah. You mean if you pay the teachers, they might want to come and teach? I mean, it's not perfect yet, so don't, don't, don't let me, you know, pretend like it is. But, but, but I mean, come on, come on. I mean, it's, it just, it's like simple. It's like, I mean, that's, I'm not, I'm not a scholar. I don't, I'm not an academic, but I mean, I ain't stupid either. If you pay people, they'll come and do the job. You know, Dana, I do want to, I do want to say one thing about the um, quality of teachers in the lower um, um, socioeconomic schools. 
I'm in a very low socioeconomic school, and I cannot believe the um, quality of the teachers that I teach That's with. That's what's up. I, I just kind of look at, down my hall and I go, gee, I'm, I'm not even near the best one in this hall. I mean, they are, and they, some of them have been there for about 30 years, and this, this is the demographic they want to work with, and they've chosen to work with that. I would put any of those teachers in a private school. I attended a private school. They would be able to do a great job at those schools. I would say that some of the private school teachers would not be able to form relationships with our students who would not necessarily be able to do as well, as we found with the vouchers. Yeah. I mean, we found that the kids left our schools and their scores dropped down when they did attend the private um, wow. schools. That how was, a, that was that? a study that was done um, by the, uh, Dr. Behrens from the University of Notre Dame. And um, I attended a, a, a talk that he gave in Fort Wayne. And he, at that point, and this was probably about eight years ago, he said, you know, we cannot keep giving money to the to um, the, the vouchers because it's not working out. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and this yeah. is this is from a Catholic university who said that it's, it's really not working out. It's, so. it's not. But they, but but it's but that the voucher program was never about it, they They'll tell you it was about getting kids into better schools. My, my philosophy has always been, why don't you just make the school better? But that's just me. That's just me. So let, <laughs> let, we can obviously talk about education all day, but I, I, I got I, I got to get some more stuff in. Dang it. Maybe I should consider having a two-hour show. No, nobody's going to watch that. All right. Um, so our governor signed into law constitutional carry. That means that any old body can go get a gun. Now, I, 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 I'm very, very worried about this. This is one of those things that has me petrified as all get out one and then not for the reasons that you think there's already plenty of guns on the street so you know there's like t five guns for every human in the country so you know but what scares me is that uh we already know that uh law-abiding permit carrying um people of color have been shot down for holding a toy gun <laughs> in walmart in an open carry place and there was at least that line of legality that said that they were they were lawfully carrying. And what scares me is now they don't have anything to say whether they were lawful or not. They have a gun. Bang, bang. Those are my thoughts on that particular bill. Andrea, what are your thoughts? Well, um, and, the, and the, then we're just going to assume that everyone is armed now, which is which is problematic if we you know just approach every situation that way. Um, so I, I actually testified against House Bill 1077, the permitless carry bill, when it was on the House side and the Senate side, um, from from the principal perspective and from the brain science perspective, the fact that you know the the male brain isn't fully developed until after age 25, and so giving. Are you sure? Oh wait, are you sure? <laughs> it could be because I know Lindsey Graham is way I older mean. than 25. <laughs> but so so knowing that. And then knowing that, you know, we're just going to tell 18 year olds, okay, you can go out on your birthday and, you know, and grab a gun and start carrying it. And that we've taken away the one opportunity that we had to give education about gun safety, gun storage, which was through the permit process. It was just, you know, one little flyer, but still, at least it was something. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I was a teacher. I stood in the middle of 18-year-olds fighting over silly things. Um, the last thing I was thinking was, let's give them guns. 
right? Um, they're not wholly rational beings. And so we need to make sure we're protecting them. You know, we talked about Fort Wayne. You know, I, I, I grew up in Fort Wayne on a street that was riddled by gun violence. I mean, mm. I would hear gunshots ringing out each night. Like, I know what it's like to be in um, in a neighborhood and in an area that that is over access to to guns. And the fact that our police were against it, that our sheriffs were against it, um, is also problematic. So I'm just infuriated by this. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's like, unfortunately, the Fraternal Order of Police ended up finding out what it's like to um, be the um, be the the experts in something and not have people listen to you. And I when when the minute they said, this is going to make our jobs harder, I thought, okay, let's make like a nearly impossible job even more impossible. No, it's let's make it easier for them. They've got a tough gig. And so I, I too, I, um, I, I don't like the permitless carry. I, I, I really don't. Um, you know, I, I, I have no issue with people who own guns uh, really legally. Yeah. But they're protected by the Second them. Amendment. Do what you do. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, I'm a pretty good shot. Hey. So, yes, you know, and, and KZ um, got my back, y'all. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you know, recreationally, but it's it's this is this is just too important. And, yeah. Um, it 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 is. Um, it, it it amazes me how they just just went ahead and and did what they were going to do anyway. Yeah. All right. I gotta turn to your campaigns because y'all, I'm having way too much fun because time is flying. All right. Uh, so, you know, Andrea, everybody has their their three issues that, that are, are that they're on their platform as to why they're running. Go ahead and run down your three issues that are most important uh, to you or the, the three that you are highlighting the most. Yeah. Sure. So in increase our minimum wage, it can't be the same that it was when I started working at 14 Scuba and Ice Cream, 725. Um, making sure that we have strong neighborhoods and that, that also support small businesses as well. And then um, workforce development and those union apprenticeships. I think that that is really key um, to diversifying um, the workforce for unions and in the trades. And then also making sure that folks have um, strong living wage uh, with good health benefits as well. Um, and then fully funded transit, which you know is really important here in the Circle City. Well, I, I wanna go back to your second one because you talked about yeah. neighborhoods and economic development because i don't think people realize the importance of economic development in every neighborhood why is this one of those issues that 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 resonates with you well part part of it comes down to infrastructure you know as um so one of the things that i do as a principal is we do home visits to all of our families so every year i'm sitting on the couches of you know 50 kindergartner families as they're coming in and um, and so I get to see many different neighborhoods and the disparities between neighborhoods really is unconscionable. I mean, the fact that there are neighborhoods that have that are riddled not only with potholes, but with, um, you know, without without quality access to broadband Internet, mm -hmm. without, you know, sidewalks, without streetlights. I mean, these types of things that if we want to have strong neighborhoods, we need to make sure that their basics are taken care of. And then that access to do we have small businesses that we can walk to in our neighborhood, um, not only for the health of families, but also for the health of the community um, as well. You know, is it the grocery stores or 
um, other places like that. And so, um, and so making sure that we're spending our infrastructure dollars in those ways and we're spending them equitably and then to reconnect our communities that have been disconnected purposefully and intentionally by our highway system. And so that's yeah. part of it as well. So, so have you thought about like, um, what is that public private partnership look like? Because there's like, there, there are tax code barriers. There are zoning barriers. Obviously that's at the municipal level and that wouldn't be, you know, but th how can we address that at the state house or what are some of your ideas on how to address that? Well, it, it definitely has to be public and private partnerships, I think is is absolutely key. And that's really what, what I do in my role as an administrator, you know, as a building level principal. I'm sort of the mayor of this tiny community where we are constantly reaching out into um, the private sector in order to support us in the public sector. And so I think that those partnerships are key, but then also we've got to remember about our, our art community. And so I think that one of the things that we were able to do with those COVID CARES dollars is to give grant money to artists to have mm -hmm. them help activate their neighborhoods. I think that we cannot discount the power of art to connect community and the power of artists to be incredibly creative. So we've seen some really great things down in Garfield Park yeah, um, from the work yeah. that the artists have been doing there. Um, and so I think that, that getting outside of our circles of just like of business and nonprofit and actually expanding that into um, non-traditional um, small business in the artist community would be a big piece. I love it. I love it. Kathy, what are your three issues? Well, educational courses is one of my issues. And um, we need to have fully funded kindergarten because our kids are not prepared. Um, they're expected to come to kindergarten already knowing how to read. And that's not happening with everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that COVID showed to us was that we don't have quality daycare. We have very expensive daycare and, and it's not necessarily quality. And that when you're when you don't have something like that, it ends up costing the state even more money. And, and our mothers ended up um, having to stay home with their children um, rather than working. And um, it, it some in in some ways, Indiana just doesn't make a lot of sense with with the things that it does. It, no, you can just stop right I, there. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Period. Right. <laughs> You know, I, yes, it, 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 it just doesn't. Uh, we, we need to be a much more forward thinking state than what we are. And, uh, and that would be one of those, um, one of those things. I mean, we know that our, the wage gap is, is growing in the state of Indiana and it's, it's shrinking in other states. We've got issues here. And my last one is this, this whole big government. Now we are run by, uh, by our uh, Republican party. And the Republican Party is supposed to stand for smaller government. Smallest but when thing. I moved from California to Indiana, I just kept explaining to everybody. I said, I believe this is the biggest, this is the biggest government state in the country. I, you know, and people just were like, no, we're a Republican state. I said, no, you have no idea. There, there, you, we are told to everything that we have to do. We, we are told. For, and a, a perfect example right now, what's going on in Indiana, it's been going on for four years, and it's been on the news almost every night for like the last year, is that um, the state legislature had passed a bill, I don't, I don't know when they passed it, but it forced municipalities and cities to go with the lowest bid on certain contracts, including the trash contract. And um, except... Um, the, the city of Indianapolis is exempt from that particular bill. 
So they always do a carve out for us. Uh, they, they do. They do a carve out for you. And it's and it's so totally unfair. So what's happened here is that we had our and I remember one of our city councilmen, Glenn Hines, saying, I mean, I was watching it on TV and he said, this doesn't make any sense. This this um, this contract is two million dollars a year less than all the other contracts. I, it's just not doesn't make any sense. And you know what? He was right. It didn't make any sense because they were unable to do the job. And so and so now they've they've passed another bill that's going to take effect in July so that we're not going to have to do that. But unfortunately, it's after we have to choose our next um, trash uh, contractor. I went four weeks without having my trash picked up and I'm not the only one. And I don't blame the wonderful people who work for the company, but the trash trucks are miniature. They're not mm -hmm. regular trash trucks. And, it, it, and you know, anyone, we all knew something was going to happen. This just- um, Didn't make they, any sense. Quality mm -hmm. of, of trash pickup just it isn't as high as, as it once was. And yeah, we the, the company that um, we have now is in bankruptcy, it's out of Texas, and it and no good came from that big government bill. Well, you're right. I mean, our government is, is it, this, this, it depends on what it is, right? They want to regulate your body. They want to regulate who you can love and who you can marry, but they want unfettered regulation. They don't want any regulation on businesses that can harm us in the environment. So are you, you're right. It's, it, it depends on what it is. And it's probably the, the thing that, and that's why I hope both of y'all win or, well, let me, let me say this. I hope we get D's in those seats. Cause see, I already had somebody get upset with me cause they thought I endorsed. I'm not endorsing. I'm just saying, I'm hoping that we get D's in there because these guys are getting paid off. Mm. These, these people are following the money and they're not listening to the people who they're supposed to be representing. So when the FOP, when you don't listen to the FOP and you know how, um, authoritarian uh, police officers can be can they were ignored you know they was in there like you're not you're not following my orders you're resisting <laughs> you're resisting uh, and and you're right you're right and there are just a lot of things that we've got to get done and we got to get things done right away you get one shot to partner with someone on a bill on your first after you win your election you're you're sworn in you you have your organization day and Andrea what's the first bill you want to work on well, I would have said it one on motherhood and infant mortality, um, but we've just got some some really great great legislation passed. So I would have to say um, with teacher pay that we've okay. got to make sure that we do something with teacher pay. Okay, Kathy. You know, I I really do want the collective bargaining. Um, I I want us to be to be able to um, bargain our class sizes and our workplace. Um, because a teacher's workplace is a student's learning place. And I, I do believe that that would be the first bill that I would really go after. All right. I love it. Now, you know what? Time is already up almost. Yeah. So, um, uh, Andrea, tell the people where they can find you. Yes, I am online on the social medias at, at Andrea Hunley underscore I N. So please do follow. Excellent. Excellent. You have any events coming up? I do. We're having a party for the people um, next Thursday, March 31st at 8th Day Distillery. And this will be- At what time? Off. 
you have to come from five uh -huh. to eight. Wait, wait, wait. At what time on Thursday? I have Between a thing. I have a thing. <laughs> I have a thing yeah. on Thursdays. So it's going to be great. Kathy, uh, tell the people where they can find you and if you have any events coming up on Thursday. Well, I, I'm on Facebook um, for Kathy Zuhoffer, Indiana. And then I also have a website, kathyzuhofferindiana.com. And um, that's basically where you can find me. All right, last question tonight. It's Women's History Month. Dead or alive, political, apolitical. Tell me who your, your, your hero, shero is. Andrea, go first. My shero is Dr. Maya Angelou, through and through. That's what's up. I love it. Kathy? Um, you know what? At this point, I, I'm going to go with my mom. I my, love it. I think, I think Andrea and I were both raised by strong women. And you don't, I, you've got to be able to see that in order to become one. And so Helen... Helen Zuha up there in heaven, um, you are my hero. I love it. Now I'm gonna, I have to do one, I've been doing one every week so I get to change it up. This week I am going to holla at uh, my besties. I, did I do them last week? I can't remember. Uh, Crystal Allen and Noelle Allen, uh, y'all know I love y'all to death. They are amazing people. And if I did do them last week, um, let's see, let's see. I did Shirley, I did Barbara, you know what? I'm gonna give a shout out to Maxine Waters. Auntie Maxine, can y'all, y'all think I can get her on the show? Can y'all imagine? Yeah, you know, she she was my congresswoman when I lived. Ah, in can y'all see Indiana's own and Auntie Maxine on a turn left? <laughs> I'm selling tickets for that one. I'm selling tickets. All right, Indiana's own Dana Black. Y'all, this is what we do every week. We are bringing you people so that you can learn about the candidates who are on your ballot. Don't ask me. Don't call me and ask me what I think. Tune into the show and hear me ask them the questions. <laughs> and to all my down ballot candidates who are, you're not raising a hundred grand. I get that. Not, it's not the same kind of race. If you need an online presence, you need some video work, come out let your girl, Black Pro Studios. And if you are a larger campaign, y'all need to get with my guy Gully down in Jeffersonville, Miguel Hampton. He has a much larger studio for bigger budgets. I'm doing smaller budgets, but there's we have a way for you to get your presence out on social media in a nice video form, and you can share it and do whatever you want. Yes, <clears throat> this one is a service. <laughs> This one is a service, but I'm telling you, I'm very, very reasonable. And if you like what, you know, if you want to get, get your message out there, holla at me, Indiana's own. Yo, scan the QR code. It has all of my contact information on it. Scan it. You ain't got to try to memorize nothing. Get your phone out and scan it. All right. Indiana's own Dana Black, turn left. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me. This was a great conversation. It went by way too fast. Way, way too fast. Y'all are awesome and good luck in your campaigns. Uh, I hope to, you know you are as, success, as successful as you can possibly be. All right, I have two more guests, Upper Lower Chamber, again next week, and we're going to keep chopping it up and talking about the issues that matter to all Hoosiers right here on Turn Left. I'll holler at y'all next week. Peace. Turn Left is the property of Black Pearl IT Solutions, executive producer, Indiana's own Dana Black. Music by www.binsound.com.